As Jonathan already mentioned, we are uh, kind of ending today, uh, wrapping up our missions month with our AND series. Um, every fall, we kind of take uh, just four or five weeks and intentionally slow down. Life is crazy, especially as we kind of get ramped up for the holidays. And we slow down for a month uh, for a purpose. And that, that purpose is to remind one another of why we exist and what our purpose is as followers of Jesus. And so this month, we've looked at the fact that Jesus has called us to a, a series of both ands, right? That's the Christian faith, is this kind of series of both ands. And so week one, we looked at the fact that Jesus has called us to, to good works, yes, but also to good news, right? And so we wanna live our lives in such a way that people can see the glory of God reflected in our works, but we have to, listen, church family, we have to open our mouths at some point. And so that people know why we're doing it is Jesus in us, right? And then week two, Rafiq was here from the Middle East, and he talked about uh, reaching and teaching. And so, yes, we want to reach into the nations, and we want to feed hungry people, and we want to dig water wells, and we want to ha- provide medical care, and we do all those things. But we also want to teach them as we reach them about Jesus and how to follow him and how to obey his commands. And then last week, Pastor Rodney talked about the fact that we are called as believers to kind of an inward faith, yes, but also an outward faith, right? And so that inward component being discipleship and small groups and Bible studies, and it's a time of fellowship and growth, and it's kind of the inward circle where we're looking at each other, and we need that in our lives. It's so, so important. Let me just encourage you, if you're not in a smaller circle, if this is all you're getting, uh, you're really missing out. Let me encourage you, check out our small groups, check out our Bible studies. We all need that kind of inward circle focus to grow as disciples, but that's not where it ends in the Christian faith. We're to take that outside, right, to go into our neighborhoods and our city and ultimately all around the world. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is one of the, I think, probably one of the more neglected topics or subjects, I think, in the American church, and that's the topic of vocation. Vocation, your job, what you do with most of your life, with most of our life. So I want to talk about vocation and mission and how those two things are not actually separate categories they are actually intended by God to be intertwined, interwoven. Now, now interestingly, I, I looked up a, a Gallup poll that was taken just a few years ago that asked this question worldwide. So this is not just America, it's asked all over the world. And the question was this, what do you want most in the world? Very simple question, right? Maybe you can ask yourself that question right now. What do you want most in the world? Now, what do you think the number one answer to that question globally was? Now, if I, if I would have just, if I were to guess, if I would have guessed without looking at the actual results, I would have said money, right, or, or finances or something like that, uh, maybe fame, maybe health, something like that. Uh, it was none of those things. Interestingly, the number one answer to that question, what do you want most in the world, the number one answer was a good job. Number one answer globally, what do you want in the world? What's most important to you? I want a good job. Now, another Gallup survey also revealed that 87% of working adults are dissatisfied with their work. So almost, almost 90%. So everybody, everybody has this desire, man, I want to work, I want to produce, I want to create, I want to fix, I want to restore, I want to do all these things. This is a big desire. We're going to talk about that's the fact that that's hardwired into us by our creator in just a minute. But 87% of people are dissatisfied with their, their work. There's this huge gap between what most of us want and what most of us experience. And so 
Uh, let, let me just ask you a question. H- how many of you have ever worked a high-pressure sales job? Just raise your hand. I'm just curious how many people have worked a high-pressure sales job? Yeah, a few, few hands, maybe a couple dozen people. How many of you still work a high-pressure sales job? Okay, just, just a few. <laughs> Angelica. All right, just a, just a few of you work a high-pressure sales job. One of, listen, one of my, God bless you if you are working in that field. I, one of my first jobs when I was, I think I was 16, maybe I just turned 17, was I worked at a, an athletic shoe store in, right outside of Birmingham, Alabama called Just for Feet. And uh, it was a, this really cool concept. You go in, it's like this loud music and huge screens, and it's like, I don't know, whatever. It was, it was kind of a cool thing back in the 90s. But it was a very high-pressured sales job. And so our, I think this was actually illegal, but our, our boss actually would make us sell, like there was a list of quotas that we had to hit before we could clock out. So it didn't matter if we were supposed to get out at five o'clock or not, unless we sold six pairs of shoes and 30 pair of shoelaces and four insoles and 13 uh, you know, leather cleaners or whatever it was, we couldn't leave. And so I remember, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's against like child labor laws or something, but in Birmingham, nobody cared apparently back in the 90s. So they, he forced us to do this. And so I can remember like having an appointment with friends or a date I had to get to or something. It was like an hour after I was supposed to get off and I'm like two shoelaces shy or something from my quota and just being miserable. And I remember literally like, like sneaking around the store so my boss wouldn't see me clock out and I'd run out the back door, right? I was, it was miserable. And in fact, I was so, I hated that job so much I decided I was going to quit, but I didn't have the courage to call in uh, and tell him that I, I was going to quit. And so I was hanging out with my friends, and I was telling him, he was like, hey, you want me to call him? I'll call him. I'll just pretend I'm you, and I'll, I'll handle it for you. I was like, dude, would you do that for me? That would, that would, be, that would be awesome. And so I'm thinking he's going to be all professional about it and be like, hey, this is, this is Chris Dillon, and life circumstances have changed, and so I need to put in my two-week notice. It's been a privilege to work with you, but I need, I need to go and and so Dave, so Dave calls him. He's like, yo, this is Chris Dillon. And they were like, like who, who is this? This is Chris Dillon. I just want to say, I ain't coming in no more. And he hangs up the phone. And I'm like, David, I got to go in and get my last paycheck, man. So I remember like literally like army crawling in there to get my last paycheck and seek out. And thank God my boss didn't see me. But I, I hated that job. And so many people, I feel like that's their existence, right? We're just, we're living with this desire to work and produce and create and restore and do good in the world. And yet we're working these jobs that really just aren't satisfying and we don't enjoy. In fact, many of us, 87% of us are dissatisfied with the work that we do. Now, so here's the big idea of the whole message this morning. Here's the big idea. We're all gifted differently. We are all wired uniquely. Some of you guys, I know you're great at connecting relationally to people. Like I have lunch with some of you. I go to coffee shops with some of you. And man, you just, the, the conversations you naturally strike up with like the barista and they're like crying and sharing their life story with you. I'm like, bro, how did you do that? Um, and it, but others of you are really gifted administratively. You're like wizards on the Excel spreadsheets and that you're kind of, you're really good at that. Some of you have gifts, spiritual gifts of service. Others of you, spiritual gifts of like leadership and teaching or mercy or whatever it is. And so what I want you to picture this morning is like, like a puzzle with a thousand pieces, right? And this puzzle represents the kingdom of Jesus. And so we're, we're all different, right? We're all shaped a little differently, but we all, listen, we all have to find our place in that puzzle. And I want you to understand, like this puzzle cannot be complete without you in it. Because you are gifted in ways, you've been given talents and abilities that I don't have. Right? You've been wired in ways that are, that are different than the way that Pastor Mike is wired or Pastor Rodney is wired or our elder team or, or anything else, right? 
And so if you hear nothing else this morning, this is what I want you to hear. And again, circling back, this is the big idea. You are wanted and needed in the kingdom of Jesus. You are wanted and you are desperately needed in the kingdom of Jesus. Now, I know some of you have come from broken homes, from really tough backgrounds where you never felt wanted or needed. But I need you to understand it is never that way with Jesus in his kingdom. You are wanted and you are deeply needed. So if you're here, you're looking for a place to belong, I want you to know you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Welcome to the family of God. And if you're new to the Christian faith, as I know some of you are new to the faith, you need to understand that the Christian faith is really kind of built on what I would call two twin pillars of the faith, right? We've got the great commandment. Some of you have heard about that. It's also the, the great commission. And so in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus gets asked this question, hey, master, what's, what's the greatest commandment in the law? So Jesus, out of the whole Old Testament, the 600 some odd Laws, which is the most important? Do you remember what Jesus answered? He basically said, love God with all you've got and love others with all you've got. That's a great commandment, right? And then six chapters later in Matthew chapter 28, he commissions his disciples after the resurrection. He says, hey, listen, I want you to, I want you to go into all the nations. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've taught you, and lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And so for all of us who call ourselves Christians, that's our purpose in life. And you don't have to worry about, you know, like this whole thing in our culture. Man, you gotta find yourself. You gotta find your purpose. That is, that's it. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of you, that is your purpose. You find yourself in this mission of God, right? Loving God, loving others, and then taking that out into the world so we can reproduce other people who love and follow Jesus as well. And that sounds really simple. It looks really good on paper, but the reality is in the hectic rhythms of our life, between work and doctor's appointments and ballet recitals and soccer practice and paying bills, we can wake up and feel very disconnected from the mission of Jesus at times, can't we? I know I can, even as a, even as a pastor. And, and I doubt that I'm the only one that feels that at times. And so the question then for us becomes, man, well, how can we engage in the mission of Jesus, right? These, these two twin pillars of great commandment and great commission within the madness and the messiness and the craziness that is most of our lives. Now, here, here's, here's the good news, because I know some, what some of you are thinking, what some of you are feeling, like, Chris, don't ask me to do one more thing, man. My plate is full and there's stuff falling off on the floor. Don't ask, don't ask me to join a mission committee or uh, this mission thing. Don't, 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 I don't have time to do anything else. Now, the good news is this, this is doable. This doesn't have to be yet another thing that you add on to your already full plate. The great news about what we're talking about this morning is that really we can take what we already do every day of our lives and we can just become more intentionally missional about the everyday rhythms of our lives. Now here, you know, we'll, we'll kind of circle back and, and, and dig into that in a minute, but here's why I think this is, this is problematic for a lot of us as American Christians. And the reason that this is problematic for us, I think, is because we have created this unbiblical, unnatural kind of dichotomy between the sacred and the secular in our lives. Now, now here's what I mean by that. I think a lot of us think about 
Christianity or Christians in two categories, right? And so you've got, you've got those Christians who have sacred professions or vocations, right? And so people like me, like, oh, you're, well, you're a pastor or you're a missionary. Maybe you're a, a school teacher at a Christian school or a, a college or something like that. And so we kind of view those people as the people that have Christian sacred professions, right? They're the spiritually elite. They're the Navy SEALs of the Christians, that's one category, but the second category is just like, man, just the rest of us Christians, we're just kind of normal folk working normal vocations and jobs. You know, we're school teachers, nurses, stuff like that. And our job primarily is to just kind of pray for the Navy SEAL Christians and maybe come on Sunday and observe and kind of soak in, maybe occasionally throw a, throw a 20 in the bucket at the coffee bar. That, that's kind of like our role in this whole kingdom movement. We've got to support the Navy SEAL Christians who are doing the ministry. And I just got to say to you, church family, I think that that mindset has absolutely crippled the American church the last five or six decades. Because that was never the design of our creator. That was never the purpose, the design for just a few sort of elite Christians to do the mission of Jesus. And everybody else just kind of sits on the sideline and watches and observes and soaks in and cheers on. Y'all, I'm telling you. That is a losing recipe. We cannot win with that model of church. Now, let, me, let me just say this before we go any, any deeper here. You need to understand, particularly if you're new here, at New Life, we, we want to be ascending church. We want to be ascending church. My hope is there are some of you who are here right now, under the sound of my voice, in this room, or watching online right now, and you will leave here one day. And you will go to Asia or Africa or South America or the Middle East, perhaps even using your vocation as a platform to get there. Listen, some of y'all need to go. And we want to send you out if God is calling you. And for some of you, that's going to look like a, a short-term mission trip. We've got all kinds of things planned for, for 2022. All over the world, Middle East, Europe, South America, and that's going to be your calling. Some of, for some of you, it's a short-term mission trip with us in 2022. Others of you, God is going to call you to a midterm assignment, meaning maybe you're a college student, maybe you're getting ready to retire, and you can, you can, you're just at the place in your life where you can go and invest a year somewhere else. You can go and invest 18 months, 24 months, serving God in some other context. For others of you, I believe he's calling you to a long-term assignment, you're just going to have to trust him and you're going to have to sell your house and sell your cars and you're going to go for five or 10 or 20 or 30 years somewhere. And if God is calling you, man, we want to be ascending church. We want to send you out. We want to get behind you. In fact, you should probably know our, our elders have set aside funds for 2022 that are really going to help fund mission trips. So we're going to subsidize, if God calls you to go somewhere, locally, regionally, globally, we're going to be able to subsidize a significant part of your mission trip next year. So listen, if you've been thinking about a mission trip, next year is going to be the cheapest it's ever been and probably ever will be again, all right? And so uh, consider going with us. You can go to newlifesin.com. You can see kind of some things that are going to be coming up, opportunities that you're going to have. That's how much we believe in creating a sending culture. We want to send you out. That's one way that we engage in the mission of God, by, by going, right? We go to the nations, we plant churches, we expand the kingdom of Jesus, all of that. But there's another way that we can engage in the mission of God that gets overlooked far too often, and that's engaging in God's mission through vocation. Learning to see work as mission. 
Now, I want, I want you to think about this. The Bible opens with these words. I'm going to put them on the screens for you. These are the very first words in the Bible, right? There we go. I want you to read them with me. Here we go. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. From the very start, God is working. He's got his hands in the dirt, as it were. He's creating, he's working, right? He's creating all that is in our universe, culminating with humanity. And the very first command to the very first humans, oftentimes called the first great commission, is what? Do you remember? I want you to manage, I want you to tend, I want you to cultivate this garden that I've given you. In other words, the very first command in the garden, in paradise, is work, you see, a lot of people, I think, mistakenly, especially in the church, we kind of think of work as a result of the fall, right? Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humanity. And so we think, man, work probably was instituted sometime after Genesis chapter 3. It's a product of sin. It's a part of the curse. Wrong. God is creating in Genesis chapter 1. We're giving the first command to work in the first two chapters. In other words, listen, guys, work, vocation, was a part of paradise, and I see no reason to think that there's not going to be work in the new heavens and the new earth when we get there. And some of you are like, dang, Chris, I just retired. You tell me I'm going to have to work. No, it's going to be, listen, it's going to be good work. It's going to be satisfying work. Now, I want you to think back to the Gallup polls I just referenced uh, a minute ago. Number one thing people want in this world is a good job. 87% of people are dissatisfied with their work. There's a massive gap between what most people recognize as a core need, right, this drive that we all have to, to work, to create, to restore, to heal, to fix, all these things. And I would just ask the question, even among non-Christians, why is it that this tends to be the number one thing that we desire, one of our primary needs? Why is it that we all have this instinct to work, to create, to conquer, to fix, to renew these things? I would argue, man, don't we, don't we even see this in, uh, in young, uh, young kids, young children, right? I would argue this is, this is the imago day in us, right? We were created in the image of God. He's the master creator. He's the master worker, the restorer, and so that is in us. And so even, remember my kids, man, as soon as they could pick up a pencil or, or crayons, man, they're out there, they're coloring, they're scratching things, they're creating dinosaurs. They'd proudly bring it to me. Daddy, look at my dinosaurs, like three sticks, and, but they were, you know, they were proud of it. Our Legos has been a real big thing in my, my house for the last 10 years, right? And so the kids kind of create and they build and they castles and boats and all these things and they leave them around so you can step on in the dark and cry in the middle of the night. And, but they, even from the youngest of age, kids just have this desire, this innate placed in them by their creator, desire to create, to build, to work. But there's this huge gap, right, between that need and then so many people, almost 90% of people being dissatisfied. So I would just like, what, what if, what if, as followers of Jesus, instead of despising or enduring work like the 87%, what if we as followers of Jesus became like the 13%? who see our work as something more than just a miserable grind for a paycheck? What if we really truly begin to see our vocation as a central part of God's mission in our life? Not as a curse, but as a blessing, as a part of God's grand redemptive plan for the world. 
And I'm convinced that there are so many Christians, far too many Christians, that have separated faith from work. And don't, don't we just kind of naturally do that? We kind of create these compartments in our lives. And so like faith is over here for an hour on Sunday morning or maybe a couple of hours on Friday night with my community group or whatever it is. And then the rest of the week is for work. That's, you know, just secular stuff. It's not important stuff. It's just kind of you got to grind to get the paycheck. And we kind of separate our faith from our work. Our faith is over here and our work is over there. But what I think God is saying to us this morning is we cannot separate those two things. Friend, God has intended them to be interwoven together. Our work is a part of our faith. It is an expression of our faith. It's even a primary pathway to join God in his mission of reconciling the world to himself. We must not, believers, separate the sacred from the secular. I love this quote from Abraham Kuyper. a Dutch pastor, theologian who lived a long time ago. But I'm going to put this quote on the screen for you. This is what Kuyper says. He says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. Every square inch, Kuiper is saying, of this world and our lives, including our vocations, what we do for a living, belongs to King Jesus. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to go ahead and go to open up to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, this is a parable that Jesus tells to kind of highlight this reality that he's given us all different gifts for, for many of us, primarily expressed through our vocation that he intends for us to use um, in his kingdom. So he's wired us differently, he's given us different talents and abilities, but he expects all of us as his sons and daughters to use these things to advance his kingdom. So here we go, uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, this is a parable that Jesus is telling. He says this, for, and he's talking about uh, living in light of his second return. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted them to them his property, right? And so, so this master who's going on a trip, right? He's going, this, is, this is Jesus. His servants are, it's us, his disciples. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability and then he went away. So there's this idea, again, that Jesus has given us talents and abilities, and spiritual gifts. Again, m- many things that we use in our vocations. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So now how many talents does he have? Come on, y'all. It's not a trick question. He's got 10. He's got 10 talents now, right? He had five, doubled them. He's, he's got 10. You guys are smart. All right. So also... He who had the two talents made two talents more. So how many does the second servant have now? Man, y'all are getting real good now. All right. But he who had received the the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. I have a feeling that's not going to go well for him. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made you two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, 
good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also would receive the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Let me just pause there. There's no indication in the parable at all that the master was a hard man. This guy is just, he's making up excuses, right? He's just throwing anything he can against the wall. And I think that's probably what it's gonna be like on the final day when we stand before the returning king, right? There's gonna be a lot of people that are just kind of throwing anything against the wall, trying to make excuses for how they live their lives. So he says, master, I knew you to be a hard man. It's not true, he's just making stuff up. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And the idea there is he's like, hey, take what's yours and leave me alone. That's kind of the idea that's being painted here. Here, have what's yours. Go on with it. Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You lazy bones. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now in this parable, again, remember what I told you before we read it. Jesus is talking about Christians, believers living in light of his second coming. And his point is this. Listen, you've each been given a set of unique giftings and talents. And if you're a Christian, spiritual gifts for the express purpose of serving your master, King Jesus. And for most of us, the primary way that we get to do that day in and day out, week in and week out in our lives is through our vocation, our job, the place where we're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. In fact, there's this really uh, fascinating concept in the New Testament called oikos. Everybody say oikos. Oikos, okay, it's a Greek word, it's really fascinating, it's used over 100 times, in fact, 106 times in the New Testament. Oftentimes, it it refers to someone's home or household, but more broadly, it's used to describe somebody's circle of influence. All right, so we each have a certain number of people that we touch regularly in our lives. That would include, like, obviously, your family, your friends, if you're in school or in college, your classmates, your neighbors, and yes, your coworkers. But the reality is this, if you're working a job and you're out there, you're grinding 40, 50 hours a week, the people that you're gonna come in contact most frequently are the people that you're interacting with through your vocation, right? Coworkers, bosses, clients, customers, suppliers. We all have an oikos, a circle of influence that God has given us to interact with and expand the kingdom of Jesus. Author uh, Michael Green, he wrote a book called Evangelism in the Early Church. Really fascinating. He notes that in the early church, they used the oikos principle as the primary strategy to advance the kingdom of Jesus. The early church, like the first three centuries, the church that actually flipped the world on its head, their primary strategy to reach the world was their their oikos principle, the people that were already in their lives. So yes, they went to other cities and they went to other countries and they planted churches and they did missions and all of that stuff, but they started primarily with their family and their friends and their neighbors and their coworkers as their primary mission field. And I think somewhere along the way in our American churchy culture, we've kind of lost that. 
I don't know when we lost it or how we lost it, but what I see as I look across the landscape of the American church is that we've kind of, we've got this idea where we've kind of professionalized missions, or we've professionalized sharing our faith. And so we, 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 if we're not careful, we kind of think of missions as something that professional missionaries do, like that's their task. That's their job. It's something that, that pastors or seminary professors do, Right? But listen, when we begin to think that way, we tend to neglect the opportunities for mission that God has already placed right underneath our nose, the people that we interact with every single day of our lives. And I believe that vocation, our jobs, is one of the greatest untapped opportunities for mission in our generation. You may be saying, well, Chris, man, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor, man. Like, that's... That's what you do, man, right? You write sermons and you counsel people and you disciple people and all that kind of stuff. I'm just a, whatever, fill in the blank. I'm just a school teacher. I'm just a janitor. I'm just a barber. I'm just a nerd, whatever it is. And I think that's where many of us as followers of Jesus, we go wrong, right? Because none of us are just anything. In fact, I would argue we need to remove that word just from our vocabulary. That leads to our our first truth this morning. Uh, I'll put it on the screens for you. It's this. All good work, all good work, not just pastors, missionaries, uh, seminary professors, all good work is an expression of Imago Dei, of the image of God in us. See, as image bearers of God, all good work reflects that, that imprint of his DNA inside of us. If you think about it, man, every single vocation in some way is primarily about creating or restoring or healing or fixing and as such is a part, an essential part of the mission of God. I want you to listen. This is probably my favorite MLK Jr. quote. I'll also put it on the screens for you. Uh, this is what he says in relation to this topic. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Church, I want you to listen to me when I say this morning, there is no just fill-in-the-blank job. If you are in Christ this morning, every single vocation is an opportunity for a masterpiece that reflects the Imago Dei inside of you to the world around you. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul uh, put it in Ephesians chapter 6. He wrote this, bond servants, and today in our culture, I think the, the, the probably proper uh, application would be employees, workers, small business owners. He says, obey your earthly masters or, or bosses, supervisors, CEOs, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service or as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So who are we working for as believers? Are we working for a a man or a woman, a boss, a CEO? We're working working for Christ, unto Christ. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Here's what Paul is getting at. This is our second truth this morning. We're about to land the plane. Here's number two. Your vocation, Christian, is an opportunity, an act for worship. How many of us think of our job like that? 
And that alarm goes off at 6 o'clock on Monday morning. How many of us wake up and think, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I have an opportunity to worship you through my vocation this morning. Listen, friend, every floor you sweep, every student you teach, every client you help, every patient you heal, every broken thing you fix is an act of worship to the God who is in the process of renewing and restoring all things. Listen, Christian, it is through your work that many people will have the opportunity to see the DNA, the imprint, the imago Dei of your creator in you through your work. Paul says earlier in the same letter to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2, he says this, for we as believers, for we are his workmanship. Now, really interestingly, that word workmanship in the Greek is poema, poema. Does that sound familiar to you, poema? We get our word poem from it. Paul is saying, we as followers of Jesus, we are the workmanship. We are the masterpiece. We are God's poetry in the world around us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are created for good works as sort of an act of worship. And undoubtedly, some of the best opportunities for those good works come through our vocation, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a mechanic or a school teacher or a doctor. In fact, we just had three guys from our, our church just last week or the week before uh, fly down to Tampa, right? And they used their vocational skills, their construction skills to help a Haitian church, a Haitian pastor in an impoverished Haitian community in Tampa, one of our elders here is, by trade, he's a, he's a dentist. And multiple times a year, he gets to go all over the world, and he uses his vocational skills to expand the kingdom of Jesus. We've got many business people here at New Life who leverage those business skills, those entrepreneur skills in creative ways in our city and around the world. It's a beautiful thing. This is what God has designed us for, right? It's not just for an hour on Sunday morning or an hour on Tuesday night at your small group. He's designed us to integrate our faith and our work and our social life all together, right? That leads us to our final truth this morning. Number three, vocation could be your primary pathway to mission. Vocation could be your primary pathway to mission. And so if you've thought, man, well, God hasn't called me to move to Africa and sell everything. He hasn't called me to Asia, so I guess I can't really engage in mission. Think again. A lot of us just need to begin to think outside the box in these silly dichotomies that we've created between the secular and the sacred. Like how many of us, even in this room and online, have not even yet considered how we could leverage our jobs to engage in the mission of Jesus? And I just want to say, friend, listen, if, if we're ever going to become the faith community that God wants us to be, if we're ever going to experience, I think, the power that God wants to experience, us to experience together, we're going to have to reorient our thoughts and our minds, and we are going to have to absolutely kill this idea of the separation between the secular and the sacred, our work and faith. They are not disjointed, disconnected things. These are good gifts that God has given us to shine his goodness into the marketplace the people that are all around us every single day of our lives. Let me just say this. There, especially, man, we live in a, one of the most transient cities, maybe in the southeast. I feel like we got a 
brand new church every 24 months, right? Because people come here, they're here for a year or two because they read some article about how cool Asheville is and then they come here and then they kind of move on. And we kind of do this in a lot of areas of our lives, right? We bounce from relationship to relationship looking for that perfect person that actually doesn't exist or we bounce from job to job, city to city looking for the perfect job, right? With the perfect paycheck, with the perfect coworkers and the flawless boss that just meets all of our demands all the time, right? And look, I, I get that there are times for transition in life, but you also, listen, you need to understand this. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. The grass is greener where it gets watered. The grass is greener where it gets watered. And I, listen, I do not believe it's an accident that you are right here, right now. I believe with all my heart that God has brought you to Western North Carolina that he's brought you to this faith family at New Life, to the job that you're at, to the college campus that you're studying on, to the middle school or the high school for a divine purpose. You work with the people that you work with, not by accident, but because God wanted you to be an influence in the place that you are. He has given you the skill sets that you have, vocationally, whether you're a barista or a brain surgeon to leverage those skills that he's given you for his kingdom in the city and around the world. Let me just say to those of you who maybe are already retired, if you're thinking like, ooh, I'm already retired, I guess I don't have to listen to anything Chris is saying today. If you're retired, listen to me. There has never been a better time for you to leverage your time, talents, and treasures for the kingdom of Jesus. Some of the most effective saints I've known in my entire life are retired folk who have dedicated their golden years not to rocking their days away on the porch or collecting shells on the beach, but instead investing their lives, the, the last 20 or 30 years of their life, in creative ways into kingdom advancement. And so let me, let me, let me close as the band comes with what we started with. Friend, all of you, you are wanted and you are needed in the kingdom of Jesus. You are wanted and you are deeply needed in the mission of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon famously called the church the garden of God. I love that picture, don't you? The gar we are the garden of God. All kinds of different flowers, different shapes, different colors, different aromas, but all together producing something beautiful and pleasing to God. And so it is with us, church family. We've been given a mission, and it will, listen, it, it will take all of us finding our fit in that garden of God, in that puzzle of the kingdom of Jesus. Listen, if you think I'm going to accomplish it, or Mike's going to accomplish it, or our staff, man, it's not going to happen. It will never happen. We've, given, we've been given this massive task, this massive mission. It will take every single one of us. And so church family, my encouragement as we close is that we become the garden of God right here in our city. That we'd go out to other cities and other nations that we would learn how to leverage our skills and our crafts and our gifts and our vocations for the good of others around us and for the glory of our King. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's, let's pray. And then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and we are, I am humbled and grateful that you invite us in to your mission. 
this grand redemptive plan of drawing people who are far away from you, of wooing them and drawing them from the kingdom of darkness into your glorious kingdom of light through your son, Jesus Christ. You don't need us, God, to accomplish that, but you invite us in. You ask us to participate because you love us as your sons and as your daughters, God. And so would you help us reimagine our lives and not think that to participate in your mission, we got to become missionaries or go on mission trips. We want to do all of those things, but Would you teach us how to think creatively about our everyday lives, about our vocations and our jobs and our skill sets? God, would you teach us to begin to see our vocation, our jobs, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a doctor in the hospital, as an act of worship to you? It's not a grind. It's not a drudgery. It could be an act of worship, a beautiful aroma in the throne room of God. Would you help us see our vocation as a pathway to mission, not as something to be endured, but a blessing, a part of paradise and a way to participate in your mission. God, please help us, help the people of New Life. Never separate the sacred from the secular, our work from our faith, but to see those things as intertwined, as pathways to be used in your kingdom, and we ask all of these things in the good name of Jesus. Amen.